Through the fathomless depths of space swims the star turtle, the great Atuan. And on its back are four nerds trying to figure out just what it is that makes their Terry Pratchett's work both timely and timeless. So wear the lilac, but only if you were there. And join us on our journey through Nightwatch and the complete discography. Good evening and welcome to a very special complete discography because somehow... Uh, I, I swear I did not plan this. The fates just aligned with us talking about Nightwatch and releasing it on the glorious 25th of May. Um, I, I couldn't have planned it better. I mean, I probably could have, but I didn't. So that's where we are. Um, this is the 29th book in the Discworld series, published in 2002. A lot of us, I think, read it on the... Uh, fancy hardbound edition. It's very big. I, I read about like the first quarter of it on the hardcover because I had gotten the hardcover. I've gotten the fancy night co- the cover or the fancy hardcover of Nightwatch for Christmas, despite the fact that I hadn't read it yet. <laughs> that was the trust you all put <laughs> in this book for me. I, I hope it lives did up to pay off. That. We'll talk about it. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Um, well, I hope you're all wearing the lilac, uh, but of course, only if you were there. Um, so let's do our silly titles. Anna, you want to lead us off? Sure. I'm Anna, and I always have a mushroom handy for emergency darning. I'm Catherine Cool, Mantis House Prefect. I am Justin, and I'm going to be playing Commander Benjamin Sisko, a.k.a. Gabriel Bell. Uh, and I am Aaron, and I'm asleep on the barricades. Uh, for the people who are just listening to our podcast for the very first time and have never stepped foot on the internet before ever, uh, Kat, do you want to tell the folks who you actually are? Hi, I'm Kat Cool. I'm a, uh, a podcaster and, um, game designer. What a, how, how unfortunate to have to admit that you do podcasts. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's, that's what I am. Um, I, uh, was on this lovely podcast in an earlier episode, uh, that I think was wonderful. And, uh, I had a lot of fun. Um, so please go check out, uh, the fifth elephant episode. Other than that, I think last time I realized that I didn't say about one thing about how I, um, like, that was kind of core about my Discworld experience that I want to talk about with a thing later. Um, I'm someone who came to, to Discworld, what I perceive as late, but I understand for plenty of people as regular, uh, when I was, like, 18. Um, and I needed to get knee surgery um, because I was a uh, semi-pro soccer player as a youth and then was a construction worker and those things combined to kill your knees so i had my meniscus removed um and then in the recovery period of that over that summer i read all of discworld because <laughs> i was couch bound um and one thing that happened during that period pretty early on because the watch series was one of the first series that i did all the way through was uh veterinary got shot in the knee and then they accurately portrayed what living with a messed up knee is like. And it meant so much to me as somebody who was going to be dealing with a hurt knee for the rest of their life. Um, so uh, the, the books, uh, very personal to me. I know they're very personal to everyone else. 
Um, and I think that the sometimes nuanced way uh, that Sir Terry handles disability is pretty cool. Well, we are thrilled to have you back on. Just because you mentioned knees, I have to mention that um, the week that this episode drops, uh, the Babylon Project crew is switching over to Person of Interest, which involves quite a few um, knee very injuries. Un- very unrealistic depictions of knee injuries. <laughs> I love the very unrealistic. <laughs> it is the the it is the the time honored action trip. Like legitimately, one of our one of, one of our co hosts has the shot in the knee counter. Yeah, <laughs> which is, which, <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> because it's it's just a thing that happens on this show. Sure, why not? Let's just go for people's knees. A thing that's very easy to do. Mm. Look at me cross promoting in our network. Uh, enough of that. We're here to talk about what many people consider uh, one of the high points of the entire Forty One Discworld book series, Nightwatch. Um, Justin, you wanted to give us the summary? Yeah, it's a watch book. I, I get to do the summary for once instead of tricking one of these fools into doing it. Such is your lot in life. <laughs> yeah. It is the 30th anniversary of the glorious revolution of the 25th of May, and Lady Sybil is expecting. But Lord Commander Sam Vimes is not at his wife's side, but tracking the murderer Carcer, who has killed several watch members. A confrontation between Vimes and Carcer on top of Unseen University's library in the middle of a storm sends the two back in time 30 years. When Vimes was a young watch recruit, and with revolution brewing from the foul treatment of Lord Winder and his unmentionables. After getting arrested by his past self, Vimes is briefed by the time monk Luce, who has him assume the identity of Sergeant John Keel, while Carcer takes a position in the Unmentionables, the secret police. Vimes takes the command of the Treacle Mine Road watch station, using his expertise to help save the watch house during the Brewing Rebellion. He ends up burning down the Unmentionables headquarters, including their leader, phrenologist Captain Swing. The revolution grows, however. What were once simple barricades to see see out the night grow and grow until the People's Republic of Treacle Mine Road encompasses a quarter of the city and more and more defectors join Vimes in his rebellion. Lord Winder is inhumed by a young student veterinary using the weapon of sheer fear, and his replacement's Lord Snapcase issues a general amnesty for the People's Republic, but sends Carcer and a death squad to kill Keel, aka Vimes. Several of Vimes want die, including not-yet-undead revolutionary idealist Red Shoe, but in the ensuing fight, Vimes is able to seize Carcer, and the Time Monks send them back to their original time. Sam races home, and getting assistance from his acquaintance of the past, Dr. Lawn, Sybil is able to give birth to Sam Jr. In the graveyard of the revolutionaries, Vimes confronts Carcer and arrests him, promising him a fair trial before he is hanged. Veterinary reveals that he knows Vimes was Keel, and reveals that he also fought alongside Keel's men against uh, Carcer's hit team. Veterinary suggests a monument to the revolutionaries, but Vimes refuses, and they instead settle on the Treacle Mine Road watchhouse being rebuilt. It had been burned down in Guards Guards by that dragon. So, uh, just like you get one um, one ship of Theseus, uh, you also get one close time like Curve story. <laughs> uh, which this very much is. I mean, I think it was like halfway through this book. I just texted it to Aaron. Oh my God, it's that DS9 episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it really is. 
which it's it's a very it, I mean it's obviously a very very di- like it's the same like it is like the skeleton but everything in it is different and I love that. Mm-hmm. The the question for me though is like did Vetinari know Sam was oh. Keel before Sam past. went back? <laughs> Mm-hmm. Or did he know after Sam went back and came back? That's a good question. It's a great question. You know, it's one of those like Only changing the, the past, know. but also, you know, yeah, I mean, Lucy probably knows and will just sort of smile at you. Hmm. Is it not written? It is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, th- this, I-, I think a lot of people maybe hype this book quite a bit. Uh, I, Taylor, uh, one of our previous guests, this was his first Discworld book. Holy which, smokes. Yeah, that was our reaction too. <laughs> what an odd first book to come into. How did that even yeah. happen? Oh, just because people have said it's their favorite? I don't know. Oh. I, mean, I could, think he just picked it up. Yeah, I mean, it could be like, oh, it's my favorite. Like people think, oh, I should start that. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, the book that's at the library. Yeah, has. it's it's list, like, put prominently on a shelf in the bookstore, et cetera. Because yeah. Yeah, I yeah. can see that easily happening. It's sort of like the all of those things are going around now about like the 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 next Doctor Strange movie where everybody's like you need to watch th- these three shows and read these two comic series and you know to to get the full context. I hate I hate doing that, but also like jumping into this book without without really knowing what Sam is at the beginning and at the end seems you know understanding that change I think is the key. Because this really is a Sam, like it has the old watch, but it's a Sam book because he's literally teaching himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's extremely the Sam Vimes book. So uh, let's start with Justin. Uh, what are your sort of broad opening thoughts? There, There's a couple things that like I think I get wa- I got wound up on. It's like reading a book with like your toes clenched. Because you're like told, okay, there's going to be a, there's going to be some real sad parts in here. And like, and so I think I'm like, like I spent most of the like back half of this book bracing. And so Mm -hmm. I don't think, so I think it might, I I like, I really enjoyed it. Like, I'm going to say that, but I think I was bracing for something and it like, I don't think it hit me as hard as I think it should have. It's also, I think it's structured a little bit differently at the back, like third than a little bit than different Discworld books because Terry spends a lot of time on dating Mont like relative to I would say other authors oh like and like doing fall and a resolution and this book just ends mm-hmm. yeah um absolutely like, like you know it's like I've like it's the last like 15 pages where Carcer's taken down and, and that happens and it's just like it's very abrupt and it's so it's like I, I think it was like it took me by surprise that which which is the the thing that I enjoyed and um like any story with time travel I was originally like how do you do this and I think it was really fun that like the time travel way of things can change like at least in this situation things could change because not enough people remember and I, I and this book does not work without T- Thief of Time. Um, yep. just like and like having that there of like time being this very flexible thing on the disc here that can be mended I, I like overall I thought it was fantastic it's mm-hmm. like I think it didn't emotionally hit me as hard as it could have but I really loved it it'll be interesting 
um, if you ever end up rereading it to see what mm-hmm. your impressions are. Yeah. Um, especially, especially, I would encourage you to get to the end of the Vimes books and then pick up Night Watch again. Yeah, when they get around to doing the audiobooks, that's definitely going to be a like. I think it's like once they once we get the remastered audiobooks for the Watch series, I you know that's going on my my list of like things that I'm definitely going to retry. Yeah, I could also definitely see where you might be struggling with the the thing where something is so hyped mm-hmm. and like it that changes your perception of something, right? Like when everybody's telling you, "Oh yeah, you'll love this. This is so great. It's like the best thing ever." I don't think I I don't think my enjoyment of it was lessened. I just think that like the end of the book with the ambush, I think I was just braced for it. Yeah. And I have a friend who um was reading them all a while back and uh I remember reading in their like their roundup opinion of it that uh, they had just been extremely tense the entire time. You know, yeah. that, that, yeah. and I I wonder how much of that comes from outside versus it. Frankly, is a way more intense book than a lot of mm-hmm. than a lot of them. Even though it's not necessarily, well, no, I guess it is. It's <laughs> it's as bloody as some of the others, right? Like this isn't. Yeah. definitively the grimiest book it's just one of the grimy books um but it does i i, I get what you're saying it feels tense yeah. th- their opinion was yeah. like i can't wait to reread it now that i know what it is and i think it, it, and, and like not only is it tense it's gripping because mm-hmm. because of the time travel you have the pin waiting to drop and mm-hmm. so like every so like i i'm typically i'm like somebody who reason like short bursts like i wrote this in like some big long like sessions of like just like going in here and it's it's very like it was it's a i think it's like the most tense i've felt reading a discworld book since lords and ladies interesting <laughs> great comparison those are my two yeah. favorite discworld books <laughs> yeah there there really feels like real personal stakes because we're so invested mm-hmm. in vimes and we're and you know and sybil and young sam um to be but then also Carcer as a villain is just so scene-chewingly evil. And mm-hmm. you believe that he's capable mm-hmm. of anything. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and the book itself is constantly building on that tension that, like, you know, you start out knowing that something awful happens. Like, because they're all gathered at graves, right? <laughs> And as you go through, like, even if you knew nothing about the book, you'd be waiting for the shoot to drop. Yeah. Yeah. That opening is so cinematic with like the, the, the scenes in the watch house with the, the veterans who know what the lilac means, but then also them sort of gathering in ones and twos at the, the temple of small gods. You know, it, it feels like it is a script treatment almost. Yeah. And for me, like, I definitely get the the thing with the, the tension and how it's, like, a kind of stressful book to read. Because, I mean, I've read the book probably six, seven times at this point. And, like, this time, like, like most of the others, I, like, raced through the first half and then, like, had anxiety and waited on the rest and then, like, read the rest in, like... The 48 hours before our original recording date. 
because like even knowing exactly what was going to happen it was just like oh god <laughs> it's stressful yeah i think most of the time that i read it this is one of the ones that i turn to for comfort which is uh funny because of it being an extremely dense <laughs> book but I, I basically um whether i'm reading it or listening to it just do the whole thing in one go um because i haven't lost that childhood thing of just like the ability to read a full book um so i but it's like one of those ones where it doesn't feel like an option to stop you know i i must i must finish it it's because it is it's tense if you don't if i walk away there's a chance i'm not going to pick it up for a little while so i just gotta get through it yeah it it moves like there's there's this Mm -hmm. you know ratcheting of tension throughout the entire thing and it you know because of the the twin personal anxieties of of Vimes being like, uh, oh, that's me. Um, I now have somebody to protect who's not me, but is me. Uh, but then also, you know, the the <laughs> the revolution as it as it gains traction and you know the the forces that gather to stamp on it. Oh, and it felt very, you know, prescient to some things today too. Uh, Kat, did you want to talk about the nature of the beast thing? Sure. I'd love to. Um, this book was originally called The Nature of the Beast. That was the title that Sir Terry wanted for it. But um, another book snatched that title away just like months before he was oh. supposed to release it. I know. Like how tragic. That happened to me. Um, uh, and uh, I, it's, I, don't, I don't think Nightwatch is a bad title. I like Nightwatch. It's catchy. It's cool. Yeah. Um, but Nature of the Beast is like... That's the book, right? Um, It's just like, please, please consider that this is a deep character study on Vimes. And also, who, what other beasts are we looking at, eh? You know, it does, it does all the work Mm -hmm. right there. Um, Mm -hmm. I love it. And I wanted to say that, like, I love so much of that work. And that is also definitely not why I keep coming back and reading this book all the time. Um, Mm -hmm. I think this, the reason that it's my, like, one of my two favorite Discworld books is because um, often, even in, you guys have started the Moist books, yes? Not yet. Not yet. Not yet? Okay. Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> that's often, it, it's not that Ankh-Morpork Pork is straight up stagnant, but it has a certain status quo. Mm-hmm. And uh, like, Soteri is Vimes, and Vimes, and Veterinary make clear their opinions on certain subjects in ways that I don't agree with often. Um, like on subjects such as perhaps policing, a thing we might get into. Um, but in this book, none of that feels as stagnant to me or as unconsidered. Um, and it also like materially feels like Vimes's opinion isn't the only one that matters and the world is moving around him anyway. And you see an Ankhmore pork full of characters providing mutual aid to each other. Mm-hmm. And it, it shows you, like, this Ankhmore pork that exists behind the barricade could be Ankhmore pork. It doesn't... Vimes' idea of, like, revolutions always turning around and, and not turning into thing like, isn't... It frankly isn't the thing. It's not set. And you see the ways in which it can work uh, outside of his... I don't like chaos worldview. Like, sure, it's chaotic and it's messy, but it's possible. And uh, it's really cool to see 
those parts of the city. Because so often when we look at Ankhmore Pork, I love Ankhmore Pork, it's hilarious. But you just look at people being awful to each other. And here you see them being really good to each other. And I think yeah. that that's very cool. The the glorious People's Republic of Treacombine Road, like it's the quarter of the city that it's not the quarter of the city that has the banks or the palace or the watch houses. It's the quarter with the, with, you know, the butchers, the, you know, the, they actively did seize the means of production. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and for that reason, like it works and, and like, mm-hmm. they're able to like, there's, there's a part of it where like, I think it's vibes suggest like we could just keep pushing the barricades until, you know, we until we're the majority mm-hmm. <laughs> right right you're right a lot of the earlier like the first 25 books or so portray a lot of ankh pork as very just sort of like bystandery and um you know with the with the rare exceptions i'm thinking particularly of where sam grew up cockbell road mm-hmm. uh which is portrayed as you know just poor enough that they have to think about each other they're forced to by by circumstance yeah. Yeah, that's I've always gotten the impression like it's not like obviously Sir Terry isn't aware of goodness in the world. He puts it in his stuff. His stuff is very hopeful despite. Um but this one is like resoundingly hopeful to me in some some ways that feel distinct from other books. If that makes sense. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Which is a, a really interesting counterpoint to how dark it is. Yeah. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, there's a lot of policing in this book. Um, and I think, I hope that it's kind of Sir Terry through Vimes's eyes sort of reconsidering what he's done with the watch beforehand. Mm. Because, you know, he portrays the, you know, Justin had had complaints early on, va- entirely valid ones about, you know, the, the brutality that Detritus in particular shows and, you know, in this, I think that that's portrayed very clearly as what the bad people do, um, mm-hmm. because yeah. all of what Vimes does is de-escalation. Well, you know, except when he's confronting the unmentionables. But yeah, I mean, when when he has the opportunity, he de-escalates the situation. And I'm, I I think my I think my common compare my common comparison for like the the night watch around guards guards was there were just a str- they, they they were just a gang that had badges like that's yeah. how they were operating yeah um because they had sort of but like now it's vimes is you know to the idea of he is protecting the community and he's taking that back and because he does not have access to power structures he's doing it in the most direct way he can which is like protecting his watch, which, you know, and with the particulars of Lord Winder, I mean, the easiest way in that situation to protect the community was, well, what Vimes does. Yeah. Yeah. He puts the people behind his badge instead of in front of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely really interesting to see where, you know, how far everything has come from guards, guards, and even even from, you know, the more recent Vimes books, I think part of that is part of the narrative of Vimes realizing that he has to teach himself the fundamentals of what he believes about the world. 
and having to actually think about what is that? I, I think that that causes him to reassess some of his thoughts, perhaps. And it also, you know, it also makes you wonder how we got from you know, Lance Corporal Vimes to to Commander Vimes in some ways, um, other than just the bottle and depression. Aside from policing, for me, the main theme of, of the book is um, like memory and reflection. And this time travel thing specifically gives us such a, a great way to visualize encountering memories of the past mm-hmm. and then having to recontextualize them in your current current reality and then decide whether or not that memory stays the same. Like it's chef kiss. It's perfect. Yeah. Uh, and it's so, so cool to me to me to see Vimes do this work that it feels like we've been begging him to do. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Yeah. If <laughs> he you, finally, he finally does it. I mean, if you want to take like the fantasy element of it, this is an expectant father having basically a fever dream and a come to Jesus moment while yes. he's waiting for his baby to be born. While he's waiting for his kid. That's my, my, my secondary theme is like, yeah. this is a thing about fatherhood. There's so much in there about that, mm-hmm. right? That, that yeah. this is the guy yeah. reconciling with his beast so that he can hopefully raise a child. Uh, because old Vimes could not have done that. Yeah. 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 He talks to young Sam while waiting for young Sam. That's, that's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. The other main theme that I, kind of would pick out um that cat it ties right back into the you know, original title of the book um mm-hmm. is kind of the nature of evil right absolutely that you have the beast within vimes which is not not always a force for good um that he spends a lot of the a lot of the book kind of tamping down his darker impulses um and then we have, you know, the the politicians, obviously, like Winder and Snapcase, um, Carcer, the entire, you know, unmentionables and swing. Like, you know, there's so many different kind of portrayals of, you know, types of evil of, you know, governmental or banal or criminal mastermind or authority gone wild. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course, a violent sociopath like Karsher would immediately get hired by the old watch because he's exactly who they want. Mm-hmm. And Karsher is so interesting as like Vimes's dark mirror, right? Because mm-hmm. he has the he has a lot of the same like charisma as Vimes. Yeah. And he also does the same straightforward thinking as Vimes. Uh, something that I really like about Karsher is that is the amount of time we don't spend with him because mm-hmm. this is one of the things where like this this would be a baffling book to me to read to me without other Discworld books behind it because it feels like like Tiatame was practice for this right you know like he's done the work of showing us versions of this character so he doesn't even need to spend time with them we get it so anytime he's on screen he's just like relentlessly brutal we're not spending time with him like swanning around or anything because there's no need to do it anymore he can just be as ruthless as vimes mm-hmm. yeah yeah he can go off and do stuff off screen yeah and he, come back. he i'm like from the first he comes he comes into the book like like there's no introduction to him he comes in fully realized 
and like at full blast and like I, 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 I like that for him because it's just like he's a very particular type of villain that if a GM like gave me Carcer, I would punch that GM because it's the most annoying possible villain. Something that I yeah, that's bunny. She's gonna be a problem. Um <laughs> <laughs> something that I think is uh cool is that we were just all talking about like the main themes and mm-hmm. uh tropes and narrative space that this is playing in. And we didn't talk about the time travel or it being like a book like Les Mis, you know, which is there. It's not like yeah. it's not there. <laughs> but um, this one, just in your comment that this one felt a little different than other books, like it really made me start thinking why. And I think part of it is that like a lot of the time he's, it's not that he's not pulling satire, but he's really just doing this very earnestly this time because he has stuff to say and he doesn't have time to waste pretending it's lame is. We just got to get into it. Yeah, this is a book that it's not like, I mean, we read The Amazing Maurice this mo- last month. It's not, it's not the Pied Piper. It's not, mm-hmm. you know, it's not, he's not riffing off a story here. It's just, this is a Vime story and we're going all in. I'm not parrying anything. It's just, this is happening and like you can there's stuff you can pick up but i mean it's just full blast this book yeah 100 percent. so maybe this is just perception but it feels like there's less footnotes in this book even yeah absolutely and it's interesting talking about it in terms of maurice because we were we were remarking when we were talking about maurice about how like lean the book is right Mm mm-hmm that it's extremely, extremely tightly plotted, um, very, very cohesive. And Nightwatch is another one exactly like that. I feel like there's no, there's no fat on it. It's, you know, it might be, it might be a lot longer than Maurice, but it's got the same kind of like narrative tightness. Um, like there's jokes and stuff like that, but they're not getting in the way of just telling the story that Terry wants to tell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like there isn't like a pair of funny side characters that we keep shifting the narrative to. Right. Although young Nobby. <laughs> oh, I was God. about to say we do have young Nobby yeah. there. <laughs> it was a gift. <laughs> yeah. Truly, he is. It's so yes. exciting whenever he's around. It's like, oh, there's a smell? Nobby's going to be here? Great. <laughs> And then, yeah. of course, young young Reg Shu as well. God, Aww. oh, buddy, uh. <laughs> a young veterinary, the nerd. Oh my god, oh, such a nerd. I... Well, well, is now the time to dunk on him? I feel sure. like that deserves it. its own segment. <laughs> okay, we can dunk on veterinary. Cool. Okay. I think it's really, really funny that when we are given his full name, it's during a scene where his aunt is having him spit on a napkin so that she can like peel off his face. That's really funny. I I do not think this book should ever be adapted to screen because young Havelock Vatidari would become a Tumblr sexy man. Yeah. No, thank (laughs) you. We don't need that in the world. We don't need that. Actually, you know, it, it sort of takes the Vimes Carcer thing into a, a third dimension, really, because Vetinari is all of the violence that both of them can do, but without the 
desire, if that makes sense. He's doing it because it is a thing that he can do, but he's not doing it, you know, because he's unleashing himself or because he's a, or because he is just floating on the wind like a car surf. He he's he's an assassin and he's just good at a job. There's this deliberate moment that in um physically reading it this time, it, it really hit that Vimes has his big breakdown where that he needs the um the the cigar case to recover from. Um mm-hmm. where he's asking where is the law right now? And then he's just like, oh hold on, let uh, step back from that. What the fuck does law even mean? Oh no. <laughs> then, but when he has that moment, it's so beautiful. Um I love that entire segment. And he ends on this question of like, well, who who should have this power? Um, and uh, I I like that like I'm there like the people obviously, but the book doesn't do that. The book cuts right over to the little veterinary, um, <laughs> and it's just like, oh Terry, you really believe in this benevolent dictator? That's so funny <laughs> and weird of you. <laughs> But the thing, I feel like the thing, I mean, we can get in, we, we probably don't need to get into this too far because this is going way off topic. But the, I feel like the thing with Vetinari is that he's trying to write himself out. He's building all of the systems oh, so that they function without him. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's a, 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 a way more accurate read on Machiavelli. Like, right. he's actually engaging with the text instead of just going, ooh, 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 a Machiavellian dictator. Yeah. No, he's right. he's a character who's looking at the, like, we would like this all to phase out. And in order for it to phase out, these various things need to happen. Yeah. I, yeah. I love him. He's just, he and Granny are my favorite characters. But he mm. also is like not the actual answer. <laughs> it doesn't no. work at all. Another another big theme is corruption too. Um, you know, with the with the old watch and you know, and the the patricians as well. Mm-hmm. But especially, yeah. especially the old watch, and you know the you you were like that when you took that when you took that dollar. But I want to do yeah. that, and the rest now we're just negotiation. negotiating over price, right? Yeah, yeah. Are we on Fair to the, we're on buttons? Is that where we're we're doing? So, yeah, yeah, we can talk about yeah, we cool. can talk about some some high points. Um, well, one thing I, I do want to cover one last thing that stood out about like that Terry makes about policing. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is the there being being a copper only worked when people let it work, which is the yeah. I, I I think is a is a very good line of like having that realization of you know okay uh, we we're we're representing something here, but we only have this when everybody decides to buy into the to to buy into this. Yeah. Yeah. Similarly, you took an oath to uphold the law and defend the citizens without fear or favor. You're an officer of the law and not a soldier of the government, which I think is the, yeah. Can we spend some time to talk about really and get in depth on the policing? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Um, that's the, I tend to not enjoy when, when Terry talks about policing. This one's the exception. And I think for me, it hinges on the fact that um, Ned Coates is there. And... Ned Coates is someone who's like a fairly mysterious figure throughout the book. Uh, we're shown is just as competent as mm. Sam in all areas that if, if Carcer's the dark mirror and Ned's the light mirror in the, in the same space. Um, 
And there's a segment where um, Ned is going to leave the <laughs> Vimes's police group and go do his own thing because he's a part of um, the revolutionary stuff happening in the city. And um, Vimes stops him and they have a little chat. And that's so much of the heart of the book to me, the, the, this chat that they have. And part of what I love about it is that Ned's view of policing is in line with what I think a lot of like uh, millennial and millennials and zennials think of police. He's just like, no, they're bad. <laughs> That's police follow whatever orders they're given. They harass people. This isn't an honorable thing. And if you keep pushing it, everyone's going to die. And that's just it. Um, and he's like relentless about going, no, 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 you idiot. We're not good. This isn't a thing that can be good. And Vimes walks away from that in a way where like he delivers his inspirational thing, but then he like walks away so that Ned can't see his face and can't see him being like, damn it, he's right about everything here. <laughs> yeah. um, and it's really nice to see that, to see, oh, Terry knows. It's Vimes here that thinks this. And Vimes mm. partially has to think this because, as we're seeing in this book, his, he's had a really messed up life and he needs he needs his shield to mean something. Mm -hmm. um, so he has decided this is what policing is. Yeah. There, there are points, I think, uh, especially in like stuff like Feet of Clay, where it's like you can tell that there has been progression at the pen between like guards, guards in this point. But this is the point where I'm like, OK, this is this is how I know. OK, yeah. OK, it's Vimes who is. Yeah, now, he, now he, it's Vimes. He, I get it's it. It's like, OK, <laughs> he, this this makes sense. It's like you are a poor Sam, you are shattered man, and I don't, you know, it's... <laughs> Extremely so. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's just, like, he's he's someone who twice now has watched Ned Coates die, and that's going to do horrible things to you when you see people who think the right idealistic things keep dying. Mm. Uh, he So his main focus is protection and then deciding that the police should be about that. Mm -hmm. Which is very dadly of him. It's cute. Yeah. Yeah. That whole scene where he's like, no, we're going to keep the lamps lit. We're not going to put shutters up. We're going to go outside. We're going to start a burn barrel. We're not going to take our swords outside because as soon as people see swords, you become the enemy. And mm -hmm. he's like, I just want it. To, I just want it to be peaceful tonight. It's, it's really interesting to, um, that, yeah, like like we've been saying, it's it's all vimes because in this one, you know, even back in guards guards, I mean we're we're kind of in some ways back to guards guards. Where in guards guards, it was just vimes and his crew doing their thing because they had no institutional power behind them, and they were just doing what they thought was necessary and right. And we're kind of back to that because you know once the once the barricades go up, and even before that, you know the it's just vimes leading everybody here um they're not working for the patrician certainly um there's no captain above them um it's just vimes so it's it's interesting to have it come full circle but the vimes that we see now is such a different it's, it's so so different than guards guards vimes for so many reasons i also do like the that one 
cavalry officer who into the entire thing is just like, what in the absolute hell are we doing here? We should not be here. Yeah. It's, it's very William Madama. The, 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 the army deals with enemies of the state. The, the uh, police forces deal with protecting the public. When you get the two, the people become the enemy of the state. Exactly. Yeah. Speaking of the people, uh, one of the things that there's a long thing, I'm not going to read all of it, but uh, Vimes meditating on, in capital letters, the people. Uh, Vimes had spent his life on the streets, but he'd you know, never met the people. He'd always met just people. And that's a running bit through the book is the difference between people and the people in capital letters. Yeah. It ties too into this idea that I'm sure it's introduced before here, but I, I'm not, well, I'm not sure. It feels like it would have been because this is so central to Vimes to me, the doing the job that's in front of you. Does that just start mm. in this book or was that in previous books too? I don't remember it being a thing before. Okay. It might be just be here. But like, I was thinking of the things that have stuck with me and that I actively use. And that's something that I use to keep myself on task that like, like the important thing thing to do in any given catastrophic situation is to start focusing on the people around you and helping them. And Mm -hmm. uh, that is like nailed with all of that sentiment where we keep returning to the idea of like a a large ideal people, whatever. No, 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 no. That's, that's too large. We have to focus on like people. Yeah. And it's, it's reflected in the way the barricades evolve. You know, first they put it up around a couple of blocks and then, you know, as, as those immediate needs are met, they're able to expand it further and further. Yes. And something that I really love about the barricades is that they just don't go the way Vimes wants them to at all. Right. <laughs> like that's not <laughs> that he's like, no, no, no. I was trying to keep a certain neighborhood of you safe. Cause I figured I could do that. And people are like, we're past that. That's not what's going on grab a thing and make some soup you idiot you know that <laughs> yeah. like vimes's world is one where he would like everyone to be like <laughs> protected and secure but that's just impossible and eggmore pork is moving past it mm-hmm. um they got stuff to do yeah the the idea of like pushing the barricades well you know if we just keep pushing it then like you know we'll just have the whole city and it'll be fine <laughs> eventually we'll be outside the barricades and they'll be inside the barricades. So one of the places where I'm like, oh, it could have been different uh, with this idea, a little bit either right when we get to the barricade or right after around then, um, Vimes has this whole thing where he's like, but I arrested the patrician. No, that happens in the future. We don't do that yet. One day the law will be a thing where you can use it to arrest the patrician. And until it's that, it doesn't mean anything because it's not, it doesn't Mm -hmm. belong to the people. It doesn't protect them. It just keeps them down. Um, And uh, that idea that like, but it doesn't need to be the, the law and the way you are thinking of this in the law that does it right here the people almost decided to take over and arrest the patrician that there are so many different Mm. ways to approach this problem and it's cool to see that yeah yeah and i i keep being curious every time i read this book about how things actually went the first time around yeah right Mm. like i feel like you know Vimes kind of muses on how it's how it's different this time around that kind of gives him hope that maybe everybody won't die um 
Uh, but also, you know, is is it actually different, or is it just because he's seeing it with Lord Commander Sam Vimes' eyes as opposed to Lance Corporal Sam Vimes' eyes? I mean, yeah. it's it's a good question because, you know, I suspect that the barricades are more ambitious this time around than the first time. Well, we know some of it's different, right? Because, yeah. um, uh, oh, what Rust, Lord Rust is comes yeah. along and is their uh, their captain instead of um, uh, I don't know who they said it was last time, but it wasn't Rust was the point. Right. So like. Some things are changing, so they probably are more ambitious. There probably is a lot of different little things going on. Because, like, things like Vimes knows where they're going to attack because it's happened before. Um, Mm -hmm. So he's able to, you know, fortify those areas, which gives them the chance to expand past. Like, I think that Vimes was trying to hold the barricades where they were the first time. Mm -hmm. Mm. And that's not, that doesn't happen. And, you know, that... I think that partly freaks him out because things aren't happening the same way and it gives him hope because things aren't happening the same way, but it also makes this situation so much higher stakes than I think it might have been in, you know, in the past. So this is, so a a domino effect here that I'm going to propose is that he secures, because he, because he keeps Treacle Mine Road safe, that protects it so well that the revolutionaries think that they can go further and because they can yeah. go further, they can get stuff like food and intercept shipments and stuff. And so it's all this uh, tr- going down from just that simple act of don't bring your swords outside. Yeah. He he very clearly thought a lot about the, the city as a character. I don't remember seeing an actual map, by the way, of the city until this book. But there is one in the in the front. No. Yeah. Oh wow, cool! That's cool that that came in here. Specifically, yeah. the glorious well, people's I, I, republic part, of Mine Road. You need it for like the short street <laughs> joke to land. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and there's six different points na- labeled elsewhere alley. Other uh, buttons we want to highlight. Oh, one of my favorites is um, it's not particularly related to a lot of the main plot stuff that we've been talking about, but um. It's that was always the dream, wasn't it? I wish I knew then what I know now. But when you got older, you found out that you now wasn't you then. You then was a twerp. You then was what you had to be to start out on the rocky road of becoming you now. And one of the rocky patches on that road was being a twerp. And I feel like this is something that like, this is something that resonates pretty deeply with me because like, you know, (laughs) you know, I'm in my thirties and like, I'll look back on the person who I was in my twenties say, and, you know, I think that this encourages one to look back upon one's past self with kindness, Hmm. Um, which is, I think something that a bunch of us could maybe do more of. Yeah. I think it's really aided by the fact that Everyone who has a past version of themselves present, those past versions are really dorky. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it feels so real. You, you're like, oh, obviously that's what that person was. Duh. That's, uh, they all needed to be these things to be those people. But it, it is helpful to when looking back at, say, uh, like an 18-year-old self and going, oh, that wasn't fully baked. 
Yeah. Or, yeah. or, you know, looking at even Terry looking back at guards, guards compared to, you know, um, what, 20 books later. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, could, um, could Terry have written Nightwatch without having written guards, guards? I don't think so. I don't think so. No. Yeah. But yeah, I think, I think, you know, embracing one's own ability to change and that, you know, and that you shouldn't beat up on your past self for not being, you know, not being who you are now because you've learned things in the meantime. You've grown and learned and, you know, expanded your worldview, at least hopefully. Um, and those are all those are all good things. That doesn't mean that past you was bad. They were just a twerp. <laughs> we already touched on the uh, you were when you gave when you took that dollar bit. But I. That's really one of the uh, thinking of the things that stand out in that in this book and that I like have used. Sometimes one has need to talk to a teenager and <laughs> who who might not be doing may, might not be making the best choices. And it was such, like what a great and useful scene. Yeah. He knocked it out of the park. Yeah, I can't I can't imagine what that's like. I say dead man. <laughs> <laughs> looking at the camera with dead eyes inside. <laughs> uh, hey, look, I, I talk to a ten-year-old every day. Wow! 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 Another thing that I that I that I wind up using a lot is um, a thing that I believe I talked about last time I was here, but now we see it fully realized. Because in Fifth Elephant, he does his first version of the scene, but here he does the scene again, and this time it, like, snaps. Where there's a thing where you see the overhead of the ball that Lady Meserol is throwing, and it color codes all of the different opinion groups. I like that. And, mm. uh, yeah, and it slowly shows opinion turning as we take red and turn it to, uh, either white and turn it to red, or red and turn it to white, via integrating pink people and similar um i love that sequence it's so useful because that is indeed how people work and it is both a depressing and hopeful thing to remember oh yeah people's opinions shift all the time depending on who they're around um this ties in with a few other ideas that are really hammered home in the book um i don't think he's wrong to believe this uh, he says things like, um, hold on, I wrote, I wrote one down. Basically, he, he talks about how revolutions don't happen at street level, that that's, that they happen in rooms like this behind closed doors, that they happen with handshake deals. Um, and that is a sobering truth, I think, but it, it does like leave out the fact that you also do need the rallying in the streets. It's not like that doesn't do anything that adds pressure, etc. But um, his his thing of like, no, revolutionaries aren't red shoe. They're Ned Coats. They're people who are staying closed lipped about this. Don't <laughs> PSA. Don't put anything on your social medias. Uh, if you're doing <laughs> if, if you happen to be doing anything, just don't do that. Um, and uh, put on airplane mode on your phone. The people who know how to do that stuff and are uh, getting getting actual work done with leverage is what's needed to move things forward. It, it's nice that he knows that. I don't feel that Vimes is hopeful about it because Vimes doesn't feel like he has access to that sort of power, even though he very much does. Um, but... Uh, <coughs> 
it's a it's a cool thing for me to keep in mind that he just like succinctly offered up several times with really clear visuals to point people to or to reference that yeah. that particular uh bit um just makes me think of the hamilton song the room where it mm. happened yeah definitely extremely so yeah yeah i also really like the the return of the the reminder that privilege literally means private law yeah yeah that's good we get some more of Vimes musing on the nature of poverty. Mm-hmm. In particular, there's this long bit on how um, when you got right down to the bottom of the ladder, the rungs were very close together. You might not have much, but you could have standards. Um, which I is, love that portion. Yeah. That that does stick out. And like his descriptions of the shonky shop, uh, like smelling like poverty and everything. I'm like, man. Someone who grew up doing work in consignment shops, you really nailed it here. You, yeah. You get what this is. And also the way people are are crab potty about it with the which we'll talk about maybe in a later book. Um, but uh the the bits of it we see here are great. I have I have a funny bit I want to talk about. So Vimes has possibly the most iconic line I, I think in all <laughs> of like fiction which is why did i wait until i was married to become strangely attractive to powerful women it's so <laughs> which, good which I, isn't it so I, good? I originally misread that as attracted to powerful oh sure which i'm like big mood either way but i just like i find it very <laughs> it was a very funny moment i'm just like <laughs> that whole scene is phenomenal yeah yeah there's a bunch of great lines we've got swing saying don't let me detain you we've got um, young Sam saying, yeah, all right, but everyone knows they torture people. Uh, do they? Said Vimes. Then why don't, uh, then why doesn't anyone do anything about it? Because they torture people. Which is pretty on the nose. Um, yeah. We also have Lon with the turkey baster. I really love Lon. We'll talk about Lon's great. Yeah. Uh, th- I also loved the little cameo of, of Teenage Sybil. Uh, yes. And wh- whose first reaction to seeing a strange man knocking at her butler is to grab a freaking claymore off the wall. She's wonderful. <laughs> Love her. <laughs> yeah. She's wonderful. And also, Red, uh, Reg trying to explain communism was great. Oh, buddy. He tried so hard. He really believes it, but it's about 80% there. That's that's actually something that's really... The, the, um, the thing of, like idealism getting in the way of like actually helping people i think is is a pretty good mm-hmm. bit with reg because we've got him like okay well clearly what we need to do with all this food is put it into a warehouse and then like portion it out equally from there it's like or we could just cook it and feed people because right. we can do that um and he's so confused by the fact that they could just they could just do it they don't yeah. need machinery behind it. They could just do it. Like Kat was saying, do the job in front of you is a very clear theme in this. Yeah, yeah. I also um, really enjoy, I mean, we've, we've already kind of pointed out that scene with um, Vetinari and his aunt in the carriage. Um, hmm. But the, the bit in it of Havelock wished his aunt 
was a bit more sensible about cats. He felt instinctively that if you're going to fondle a cat while discussing matters of intrigue, that it should be a long-haired white one. It shouldn't be an elderly street tom with irregular bouts of flatulence. (laughs) Just murdering himself in the future. Uh. Yep. (laughs) Sir Sir Terry's lampshade shop. Yeah, it's nice. (laughs) Part of... uh, if we're talking about like general favorite stuff, um, mm-hmm. basically everything the assassins do is yes. gold to me in this. Mm-hmm. It's just really nice to see them. And I, we, we talked about this with um, Inigo last time that I went to this sort of school <laughs> and it wasn't pleasant. I was a scholarship student. It wasn't great. Um, the school that I went to like was fancy enough to have different houses like Viper house and stuff. Uh, not the best way to grow up. And uh, seeing him just be like, no, I'm taking these heckers down. Um, it's just like, thank you. It's such a it's such a relief to see him just have complete disdain for it. Um, yeah. And while simultaneously painting a thing that I desperately want to see more of, because I'm invested in all of the characters, like the scholarship kids, like young, extremely autistic, very bullied veterinary. Um, I, I want to know how they get through this horrific school. Yeah, it it was funny to me. I'd completely forgotten the denouement of the uh, of the camouflage book thing, which was like, you know, you expect him to be kind of upset about it, but then he's like, "Well, I was going to have to destroy it anyway." Yeah, it's nice. Yeah, I I I'm gonna jump down to a thing for a second. I feel so cheated out of a full Assassin's book. Yeah. Because we got like a quarter of one in Pyramids and like just the barest taste of one so, in Nightwatch. Something that I noticed or, or like because we're going back in time this is before really Veterinary has like organized organized everything into the Encore Park of today is that the only real functioning guild is the Assassin's Guild. Yeah. It's so, Oh wow. So yeah, like, you're right. did he just he just decide I'm going to make a city modeled after the Assassin's Guild? It doesn't not feel like that's what happened. Because <laughs> if you also there's this they put out this one book, like a supplemental book that's the um oh what's it called? It's like it's basically a yearbook for the Assassins. It's the oh, Assassin yes. Something and Diary. Yeah. Um, and uh, everything in it's great. I wanted, One example of stuff from it is um, a Jocasta wig from the front of the book, or like from the front, from the beginning of the book, who gets stuck in the cesspit. Mm-hmm. Um, like, she's part of a family, the, the wigs, who, uh, aside from all being in Viper House, um, every generation of them has taken out a contract on this one vampire and succeeded in killing him during their <laughs> during their thing before he like reconstitutes and the world puts out another assassin's contract on him. So the assassin school reserves that contract for the Wiggs family if they have a kid around being like, it's it's your birthright, it's your destiny, please My go God. kill that vampire. And that's amazing! I want that! That is that is like Justin's cat right there. It's so good. Kill for that book, (laughs) right? Let's. I'm genuinely upset that we don't have that book. Um, But in that book, the point that I was going to make is that we see um, Veterinary's list of uh, degrees. He has like 
something like 20 different degrees from the assassin's <laughs> school, and he was provost there, um, which means that he like spent a considerable portion of his life doing the assassin's school thing. Uh, so, yeah, Justin, it feels like he really did just go, like... I, I have spent enough time here, and I have reformed it to my liking. I am ready to move on to the city. He's moving the barricades outwards. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> but also, you know, the speaking of going back to Vetinari for just one more second, the fact that he breaks the assassin's code and dives into the street fight at the end, you know, because yeah. they're not supposed to kill not for money. He does a lot of things that he's not supposed yeah. to. He's oh, yeah. not supposed to not wear black. Um, <laughs> yeah. And he kills another person not for money earlier on mm-hmm. in protecting Vimes. Yeah. And he's not really assassin- assassinating in the uh, in the street fight. He's just sort of, he's just fighting. Just murdering some people. Um, I thought it was really, you know, the, the way he, he kills Winder too is... is no. Oh, it's fun. Yeah. I, I, and I like that he doesn't have to kill to do it. The only times that he's killing are things that don't have anything to do with the assassins. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can't, like, every time I read Snapcase, I inserted in front of it Mad Lord because, mm-hmm. you know, that's how he's referred to in mm-hmm. all the previous books. <laughs> that, 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 those first two words, like, that title is an earned accomplishment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, any other bits we wanted to highlight or should we talk about the heavy stuff? Um, do we want to talk about the unmentionables? Yes. And the fact that they're led by an actual phrenologist. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. The minute like that, that was like, oh, I'm pulling out a ruler. I'm like, oh, we're doing this then. <laughs> yeah. It's very like 19th century, late 19th century policing, you know, the, the scientific policing that led us down a very dark path as set against, you know, Vimes's I want to reform police into, you know, a protector of the community. Or if you will, what police actually are versus what they are in this fantasy. <laughs> right. yeah. yeah. It's it's really interesting to... Uh, kind of reread this and see the unmentionables and the kind of surveillance state stuff that it's like the the Ankh-Morpork surveillance state, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that was just really funny to me that we're reading this book and also starting in on person of interest. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, the the kind of like ends justify the means, the um you know, detaining people without trial or telling them what they're being detained for, et cetera, et cetera. Like, you know, that's those are all still very chillingly relevant. And you can escape it if you have enough money. Yep. Yeah, and there's a fair amount of torture in the book too. Yeah. Something that happened in this reread was um when they do the ginger beer trick, uh, I I went, Sir Terry, this isn't an accurate portrayal of this particular torture. That should be a muffled scream, not a full mouthed scream. Then I was like, No, Cat, you're the weirdo for knowing that. <laughs> Sir Terry's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah we could, if anybody, 
Do people want to know what the ginger beer trick is? I, I, it's real. I, um, go ahead. We might put a content warning on this, but uh, yeah, yeah, like yeah. A minute it's, ahead. Um, it's a, it's a form of waterboarding. Okay. So you put duct tape over somebody's mouth, take hot Coca Cola, and put it up their nose, and it is a more effective way to to waterboard somebody. Interesting. Okay. It is it is confirmed as real by Amnesty International and uh, Human Rights Watch. Okay. It's interesting. I'm, I'm very thankful that since we bothered to talk about torture, he made it clear that it doesn't get you correct answers. That's not mm-hmm. what torture does. Yeah. Yeah, and it's only, and it, and it ends up being only the illusion of torture that gets them anything. The, the... Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Because actual torture just makes people hate the person torturing them or the yeah. side, theoretically, that's torturing them. Yeah. And it probably mostly only works on the unmentionables because they have, in fact, seen this particular method in use. So, yeah. you know, it's entirely a psychological... I mean, to be fair, it is a, it is a form of torture, but sure, it, sure, it sure. is a... But it it's is, a headology. It's, yeah. not, it's not exactly the same sort of thing. It is a coercion instead of uh, torture, which we see... I, I do appreciate this. We see that the unmentionables are not torturing for information at all. They're they're torturing one because they seem to like it. Two because we're enacting terror on the lower classes of this city. Yeah, yeah. it is entirely about power and control. And yeah, it is unmentionable. Yeah, the the other thing that felt really relevant to me is um, Snapcase just immediately turning on his supporters. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's like instantaneous that he, these people who have been like, Snackcase, yay, he should be the patrician. Like, he instantly looks at the other side of the barricades and instead of being like, hey, look, great, I've got all these supporters. He's like, fucking rabble rousers and like, <laughs> sends a hit squad. Mm-hmm. That, that is, um, that's a thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But the fact that he, he sees, he sees that Keel has power and goes, okay, kill him. I don't want anybody challenging me. Yeah. It's funny. In my head, I had conflated uh, two different historical things from the UK. I had really thought that a lot of the stuff was pulled from the Battle of Cable Street, which it was a uh, a series of, of clashes in, in the East End of London um, against fascists protected who were being protected by the police but uh according to the um according to l space the dolly sisters massacre in this which is where they basically brought a cavalry charge against protesters um which doesn't seem unfamiliar uh is based on the peterloo massacre of uh 1819 um during a protest of the corn laws mm-hmm uh, and I loved Sir Terry's comment about it. It was Peterloo that I had in mind as discussed here some time ago. But as a general rule, when things look bad, there's always some dickhead who can make them worse. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, we see that in especially the, the militarization of the police in the last 20, 30 years. Yeah. It's, I, I thought it was interesting. A comment that we already talked about or like a quote that we talked about was the the idea of policing only working if people let it. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about like, I guess that's true in this Angmar Park, like in this in this mm-hmm. land where the police 
don't have guns and military grade weapons. Yeah, where the police yeah. don't have tanks. I am this is right? I, this is this book was also this book was written pre nine eleven. It's like for, No I mean it came out in two It was two thousand two. I mean it came out in two thousand two, but knowing how the writing so, process works, it was written pre nine eleven. Or how the publishing process works. I mean, yeah, it's just like it's it's an entire like this is it's a twenty year old book and a lot has changed in the last twenty years. And yeah, and and the UK and Europe in general didn't catch up uh, on these violent police tactics as quickly as the US did either. I went to a number of protests in in uh, the UK and Italy, weirdly, in two thousand three, and you know, police were generally speaking not armed and didn't have those you know kettling techniques that they have now and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a very different thing. The, such that the area the the areas of the book where um they have the the competent military men which it's it might see more of it later but um it's nice that he has the the good combination of like yes obviously the military is the worst but also it does need competent people around to function let's go check in with those competent people and what the competent people are saying is like we don't belong here this is not the function of this technology and they're talking about horse technology but it very much applies to the stuff that we are now dealing with that is still a part of the police force yeah yeah, yeah. should we talk a little bit about how this old ankmore park doesn't look like the old ankmore park <laughs> from like earlier books sure yeah i think that's yeah. a really interesting one because it's hard to keep everything straight this world style yeah because yeah, like color of magic is arguably at roughly the same time as this or like not quite but not- a little after I yeah. guess. yeah because veterinary is a veterinary is a- patrician. the patrician yeah yeah right. arguably i would say that if we were to retcon it, I would say that Snapcase would probably have been the patrician at that moment. <laughs> Could be. I mean, I like in Color Magic, you still have like stuff like the th- or or early on in Discworld, you still have stuff like the Thieves Guild. Mm-hmm. So that makes yeah. that makes me think that it's like I mean, it's a veterinary. It's not. Mm-hmm. It's not what veterinary is comes out comes formed out as. But I think it's like I mean, we we don't have any of these like units that are developed in Ankh-Morpork Park society like the seamstresses um, yeah of course also sir terry points out that there's been at least two time crashes in between then and now so i was yeah. gonna say the th- we also had sorcery and then multiple time crashes since yeah. then which yeah i mean is the is the is the terry pratchett way of saying don't worry about it <laughs> <laughs> please yeah. do not notice yeah it's fine it's fine don't think about it just just don't <laughs> It's a show. Just relax. Yeah. It's it's really interesting to see how far, like, how much ink more pork has changed, though. Because, like, if you go back to Color of Magic, um, if we're looking at it purely from the Doylean perspective here, um, you know, Color of Magic is, you know, the ink more pork there is um, very medieval. And even even when we go back to <clears throat> a comparable time period um, in this book. It's still a kind of early industrial age city, not a medieval city. By the way, cavalry charges really do not work well in medieval streets. No. 
<laughs> no. <laughs> the the points of like um, that you you know, bringing horses into alleys and then being like, oh, <laughs> we're trapped. Yeah. You take it to the shades and everybody's like, hey, look, dinner. Because that that horse isn't the the horse doesn't want to go in reverse. Horse had it coming. <laughs> yeah, they don't have they don't have veterinary to take it backwards down the 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 steeple. <sighs> yeah, the <laughs> I forgot the, the, one of the other bits that I loved was the uh, was uh, Vimes's dealing with the oxen uh, with the oh with I the remember siege. now yeah. okay yep 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 <laughs> those poor oxen though <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, this is not the last time we see gingering up an animal, <laughs> unfortunately. So, Dr. Lawn. Uh, Mossy Lawn. I mean, I guess Vimes didn't remember him when the patrician was um, uh, suffering from arsenic poisoning. Well, because he, he'd never met him at that point. Oh, that's true. Yeah, that that's was true. the time loop. He just didn't know him. Yeah. What a cool yeah. dude. Yeah. yeah. And th- how cool to spend this much time going if we're getting right down to mutual aid. The first thing we need to discuss is abortion. Yeah. yeah. Like instantly we're right there in this yeah. book. It's just like, yeah. thank you, Terry. You got it. Great job. Uh, not just abortion, but general women's health. Yeah. yeah. Both for the seamstresses and for the actual seamstresses. <laughs> you can feel the city starting to solidify in an element of lawn that's like who is paying me for this i'm gonna do it i'm gonna take care of this person a hundred percent but also i don't think this city works like that and i do need to be paid yeah could i have one night's sleep please (laughs) in the words of the philosopher spectrum the founder of my profession am i going to get paid for this (laughs) (laughs) he's a good guy though yeah I love that the seamstresses hire actual needle workers based off of all of the all of the misunderstandings about the the name of the organization. As I understand it, this is something I didn't see it on Elspace, but I've seen it in the past that uh, that was he, he pulled this from um, this being a real thing in Seattle um, <laughs> that uh, the seamstress was the the code mm-hmm. um and he's pulled- the the quantity of seamstress to to actual seamstress was like a thing um and i'm like what a fun thing to know and why did you know this thing about seattle sir terry uh, i'm stolen a lot of things yeah, yeah. what was the thing the, what was the thing a couple months ago or a couple books ago ink more pork being built on more ink more pork yeah, yeah. Uh, is a seattle thing yeah because um yeah because it's it's uh I, I visited Seattle last fall, and one of the things that uh, a friend of mine recommended is you can is they have an underground there, and you can take a tour of it. And one of the things they'll tell you about is all of the the criminal under or the, the criminal underworld and the that. And so it was like I was like that seamstress thing sounds familiar. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. I, th- I think it's really fun. It also reminded me of a thing that's um. Uh, I don't know if y'all are on TikTok. I'm not. I'm not. But, but I, I'm not. I don't intend to be. My sister sends me stuff. Um, I'm too old. My sister sends yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm too old for it. Sometimes people who have kids send me things and, and I, I engage that way. But I found out that um, 
on TikTok, uh, because they have all of these language restrictions and stuff that shuts down mm-hmm. your videos, um, similar to this seamstress thing, uh, being, like, the code for sex worker is accountant. Um, <laughs> because, and I'm like, oh, man, that's amazing. It's amazing that we're doing that sort of thing again. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it's accountant just because it's an innocuous person who's going to be moving a lot of money. Um, and uh, that's... It, it's fascinating, like, the necessity of these things in time and how, how they recrop up. I just I just look at TikTok and I'm like, video. 100%. Don't I want it. I determined that, like, that, that there is a specific age gap that, like, you'll, like, yes, no on it. And I figured out that I am I'm on the wrong side of that age gap. And I'm like, is this the first platform that I am on the wrong side of the age gap for? <laughs> yeah, like, I'm now an old person because I don't like TikTok. My sister's TikTok. only a couple of years younger than me, and she's and she's like using it except like a lot. And I'm just like, oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's interesting to be like, oh, I'm too old for something. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Cat, thank you for bringing the uh, the coding, the villain coding thing. Yeah. Up. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. I, I really want to. I really want to hear your thoughts on that. Um, something that uh, I think Sir Terry sometimes returns to is uh, writing his villains with vocal tics. Um, like Ing is one, and uh, I don't. We you you yeah. did do that book. Um, there are mm-hmm. several. Several times, it's a a thing that he does, and I'm torn in one way about it. The thing is, I like how he writes them. I like him writing vocal yeah. tics. They're really fun. I just wish they weren't so frequently given to villains, because it's a form of disability coding. And I talked about him writing disability realistically earlier, I think that he nails it often. So it's interesting to see that he, like, has this gap where he just doesn't bring that same sensitivity mm-hmm. to the whole realm of people with vocal tics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the only the only place where that's, like, question mark as opposed to villain is the Igors. Oh, 100%. You're right. The Igors are a, a great representation of, like, okay, I do like you writing this. Just give it to more people so that mm-hmm. it doesn't feel as concentrated. But yeah. any book with an Igor in it immediately takes it down a notch because they're fun. They're they're the good guys. They're yeah. not phonologists. Right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I bet that the Igors would have opinions about swing. Yeah. And it's interesting, too, to me that, like, I know we're in disability coding land, too, because he also has him walk with a cane. And... Guys, when he talks about Vetinari needing like support for walking, he's doing it great. And you see him you see him do the things where he runs still when he needs to, because you can, mm-hmm. but then he needs to chill out afterwards because you can't always mm-hmm. do it. Uh it's a limited burst ability. Um so like he knows and then he just fumbles it. Yeah. With yeah. with swing in particular, it's not it's not clear to me how much of him walking with a cane is a disability where he needs the cane. Where he even yeah. needs it versus, um, versus just an affectation. Cane. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 
that like he feels cool to walk around with a sword cane which is yeah absolutely which is definitely (laughs) gross in like its own way but it is it's super gross that's uh as someone who walks around with a cane sword canes most places very illegal um but for good reason they're a stupid weapon if you have a cane you can hit somebody with the cane (laughs) yeah they, they tend to have a head yeah, yeah, the like the trenchants and the, yeah. the, the yeah. way more useful weapon a cane is than a sword cane. The sword cane is just a rich people intimidation yeah. tool. Yeah, you're right. It is it used well like that. And the way Vimes immediately clocks it as a sword cane too. Because it in rattles. My head I was, yeah, in my head I was like, oh, that's mall ninja shit. <laughs> yeah, it's not even a, it's not you're even a so good right. sword cane. It's, oh. it's like a it's a I look cool sword cane. Yeah. Well, and, and I think that that might be part of Swing's thing is to have it be an easily clocked sword cane so that it, you know, because... So people are scared that he yeah. has a blade. Yeah. Especially yeah, I think you're right. because there's a weapons ban. Mm. Uh, it, it, in that case, it is a it is a symbol of, like, both his status and his power. Mm-hmm. Oh, I wanted to talk about the weapons ban very briefly, which is, that's another one of my favorite bits of the book is the where it kind of talks about the the weapons ban and like crossbows might be banned but like there are butchers in the you know behind the barricades and like that With much deadlier weapons yeah. yeah that like you know you can do you can the, the ordinary people you know you can do a lot of damage with a pitchfork or you know, a butcher's hook or whatever. <laughs> Speaking of weapons, though, for a sec, I just have to jump back to another silly little bit. When when Vimes is like, well, Mr. Burley and Mr. Strong in the arm, and everybody's like, what? And he's like, oh, right. <laughs> yeah, he's oh, five years too early. Oh, he's no. Like, yeah. Shit, dwarves don't make your crossbows. It's nice because he's so, because this book is in many ways competence porn, and it's nice to have him freak up yeah. at any point. Yeah. Uh, what's the semi-popular fan theory that you? Yes. Oh my god. Okay. This happened on. This was a popular post, in terms of being a popular post on Discworld Tumblr. So I don't know that this is <laughs> a hugely widespread thing, but like, it's about as as popular a fan theory as I've seen with anything. That I think makes this book really cool. Um, I tried to find it earlier and couldn't, so I'm sorry to whoever originally came up with this. Um, Someone pointed out that uh, Ned Coates is a weird character, and so much of him gets explained if you go, oh, there have been multiple time instances, and this is young Sam coming back from the future. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And if you read it in that lens... It works and it's very exciting. Oh wow! Please reread it with that, with thinking it, thinking oh that way, because it it rips. Oh, it's no. really tight. It's something that I wish 
was explicit in the text. I'm fine with us not doing there, but in some ways I'm like, I wonder if we would have. I wonder if he intended that, and if we'd had enough books, we would have realized eventually, oh my god, Ned Coates was young Sam. Um, Because, like, why is this guy so competent? Why does he think all of these things about policing, that's clearly, like, Vimes' thoughts about policing, that he couldn't have gotten from Keel, because we're told that Keel's not like this. Um, And in this thing that is heavily about the relationship between fathers and sons and Vimes figuring out how to be a father and him calling all of his watch boys uh, my sons at one point um, and teaching young Sam. Having young Sam teaching young Sam when we first meet them rules. I just think it's really, really rad and uh, I want I want all of it. How that that's oh that's timey wimey like I need to go back in time to make sure that my dad as a young one is is able to hear my dad as old ah and also antagonize my dad who's old <laughs> if you look at it too like the it looks like it looks like if i if, If we were to see it in the future, I bet it would be happening because there's a revolution currently happening in young Sam's time. Hmm. And he gets shunted back into the time when he doesn't believe in his dad and doesn't believe in this form of policing as a way to engage with the public anymore. Because he would have grown up. Can you imagine growing up with Sam Vimes as your dad? He would be distant and weird and occupied with his job. Like, Hmm. you wouldn't have... uh, a positive view of this stuff. Yeah. So someone being being sent back in time to learn the things that made his dad appreciate all of this would have made him useful for his revolution or whatever he's dealing with that we don't know about. That's a wild theory. I love it. Yeah. So, <laughs> so good. <laughs> <laughs> it's a cool way to consider the book. Every time, like, Ned, Ned Coates is this character that... I I just love everything that we get about him, and I don't understand why we don't get more. Mm. And there are certain segments where, like, <sighs> um, Vimes looks at the body and doesn't really recognize Ned there anymore, which feels very much like when Vetinari looks at Vimes's body, uh, and who's not Vimes, who's Keel now, and goes, that's not the same person. So there's enough stuff there where I'm like, something more is happening here. Could not be. But what is what is Sir Terry doing with this character who comes out of nowhere and has so much to do with Sam Vimes specifically and then pieces out? Mm-hmm. And and the first like the first 20 percent, a third of the book focuses like is like Ned Coates, Ned Coates, Ned Coates. Right. Like mm-hmm. like Vimes is thinking about him constantly constantly yeah and then he just drops out of the entire book until the last scenes which is fascinating yeah yeah i think it's really cool and the stuff too that we don't ever see ned actually interact with stuff beyond the watch house but we have stuff like him having information in a notebook you know that that he has all of this seemingly proprietary information about Mm -hmm. the city that we know that he could just he could have gotten the pie from dibbler but he also might just have known that he might have just known that the password was swordfish um (laughs) and i i think it's cool and compelling i i I loved that marx brothers reference full into it (laughs) okay we should do some cleanup uh i there's a fair amount of references that we've already gone through but i i loved the little uh note about the events of 
thief of time with the you know lightning striking of the the clockmakers guild mm. uh and then oh hey bar gravy is heating up weird mm-hmm. something that i liked um that I, I talked about a sort of thing like this with the um with the ballroom scene last time i was on the mm. show uh i feel like he starts to write a thing that he's going to write about a lot very soon um when he he there's a segment where he's talking to lady meserol and it lists the order of thoughts that he has and he hits on realizing that he didn't bother thinking on about sybil until thought three because he was too busy thinking about like the immediate future of what he could do if he started pushing not the barricade because we're not there yet, but but pushing the ideas of governance and mm-hmm. stuff. Um, and this ordering of thoughts and then deciding what thought you want is uh, a cool thing that uh, might wind up being important to Terry soon. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps even in the next book. Uh, shipping corner? I mean... VV ship, obviously. I mean, yeah, there, there's there's a lot going on there. There's like a lot. Yeah. 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 There's, there's a lot. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, no, I mean, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's weird because it's like, I don't think I would ever need them to do anything, but I just want them to like, it's a thing or it's like, I like your vibes interacting. <laughs> I, and please don't ever take Sam away from civil because that's the only thing keeping him sane. <laughs> it would be nice if they knew that. Yeah. Like, like this ha- keeps, it keeps doing it, but it also deliberately has them missing each other the entire mm-hmm. time. Yeah. And, like, like there's a moment where, um, which I, I think is great for a number of reasons, but Havelock and his aunt are talking, and she says something about Vimes feeling the, the street with his, his feet. And she is talking completely in a metaphorical sense. Mm-hmm. But, but young Havelock interprets it. For a number of reasons, he's extremely autistic coded um, as being a literal thing. You know, that's the and we, the audience, know he's right about that. But it is like in the moment, not a correct assumption to be making. That is Anta speaking literally. And then when we cut forward, um, the scene where Vimes decides to do the the walking back to the to the shonky shop mm-hmm. where he actually utilizes that skill it happens right after he has his conversation with Ned Coates. And during Ned Coates's thing, Ned Coates says, metaphorically, you have lots of friends in high places. And Vimes looks up to, because recently Havelock was helping him oh. out while <laughs> up on the, the yeah. rooftops. I'm like, Oh my God, stop it. You can't do this. Sir Terry. <laughs> Don't do this. It's a lot. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, we could probably talk about this for another four hours, but we should probably wrap it up. Any closing thoughts before we get to ratings? Um, I mean, overall, I would say, you know, lived up to the hype. I'm glad. Ditto. That's a relief. We've we've only been teasing you with this for three years. Two years. Three years. Three, three, sure, three. What is time? I think my, I think my last like bit um is that one of the small things that i like about it is how much it plays with essentially scent memory right that um the idea that 
you can and and just like as Kat was saying, like memory in general and the fact that there can be something very small that reminds you of something very big. And I think like all of us are like that with lilacs now with this book, right? Absolutely. It, this, the scene in the beginning of the book where he smells the lilac and then has a moment is fascinating to me too because it feels like it doesn't feel like he's just having a memory. It feels like he's having like a PTSD episode. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the way that it's utilized, I think, is good. Like, the yield is a good yield. But uh, that process of looking at a thing, reconsidering it, making something new out of it and carrying that forward as a strength is like, wow, Sam, you managed to do one therapy. Um, <laughs> it only took lift, going back in time. Men will literally go back in time to instruct, <laughs> instruct their past yeah, selves before go to going therapy. to therapy. Yeah. <laughs> yep okay but mentioning memory again that that's like it's actually weirdly closer to a modern con- understanding of how memories actually work the way he goes back and actually changes things like mm-hmm. yep because that's that is actually functionally how memory seems to work biologically yeah so that's that's, yeah. that's i mean who yeah. knows maybe it happened that way all the time and yeah Young Sam is just fucking traumatized. <laughs> and he's like, I'm just going to accept the popular narrative of what happened here. I mean, it's 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 sort of the it's right up there with the question of was Benjamin Sisko Gabriel Bell? <laughs> yeah, we gotta come back to that. Yeah. <laughs> Cause you know that that things don't happen the way that Vimes remembers them, but how much of that is that he's just perceiving things differently because he has has a different role and maybe maybe it maybe keel was originally vimes or has been vimes all along wibbly wobbly timey wimey stuff <laughs> okay ratings uh let's see justin want to lead us off all of the guards on all of the barricades Anna. 10 out of 10 rising body parts i give it all of the angels i give it a hard-boiled egg excellent now it's time for the bit, All Justin. right. Yep, I have it open. Uh, we have The We Free Men, Discworld Book 30, A Tiffany Aching Adventure. A nightmarish danger threatens from the other side of reality. Armed with only a frying pan and her common sense, young witch-to-be Tiffany Aching must defend her home against the monsters of Fairyland. Luckily, she has some very unusual help. The local Nock Machfiegel, a.k.a. The We Free Men, a clan of fierce, sheep-stealing, sword-wielding, six-inch-high blue men. Together, they must face headless horsemen, ferocious grimhounds, terrifying dreams come true, and ultimately, the sinister queen of the elves herself. Okay, somebody's going to need to remind me like a week beforehand to 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 do my, to do my laundry so I can wear my knock uh, uh, McFeagle socks on that day. Yeah. Oh, fun! Beautiful. Oh, just a, just as one last bit, which I know will not probably make it into the recording, but the one of my favorites we we've talked about various cinematic bits of this and how it's a very cinematic book. Mm-hmm. Um, tossing the hard boiled egg and then having it explode with the arrows. What a scene! Yeah. And so good. It's like you know. Yeah, like the the tossing the egg casually, and this like it's it's 
it's such a it's such a good visual. Yeah. Yeah, and Reg getting peppered by arrows and refusing to fall. Ugh. I remember the first time reading that and just being like, oof. My boy. He he literally refuses to die. Beautiful. <laughs> okay. Well, that's that. Could you tell us, a, and by us, I mean me, uh, a, a little bit about you, uh, how you got into the fandom, um, and, and we'll get to the specific reason you're on in a second. Yeah, uh, so I'm Holly, she, her. Uh, I have been in various kinds of fandoms since the late 90s, which is a weird thing to say, but yeah, since I was in my early teens, and that was also a little before I started reading the Discworld books. And they have just sort of always been sort of in, at least in the background of my like life as a nerd. <laughs> and I have written fic in the fandom a couple of times, once for Yuletide and then back in 2011, not long after uh, Terry's diagnosis was announced, I wrote, I think about 30,000 words of future fic for like what I wanted sort of the future of Eggmore Pork and, and the world to be unsubtly titled The Brain Thief. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Which was how I sort of got all of that out of my system. Mm -hmm. Worked through all those feelings. And I still will, you know, periodically go back to them and reread my favorites. And, and it is one of the things that I'm sort of always a little bit thinking about somewhere in the back of my brain. Yeah. <laughs> that Those handful of fandoms that, you know, it's just sort of been a background thought at all times for like 20 years <laughs> yeah i think especially the the message of you know real evil is treating people as things mm -hmm. is something that i try to carry with myself yeah i think i made a, a tumblr post recently that was like me ages i don't know 14 to 30 reading a terry pratchett book yeah i'll internalize that into my worldview <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what's what are some of your your comfort ones like what which ones do you go back to because they they bring something you know fresh fire to your soul all the watch books are are perpetual rereads comfort reads for me especially night watch men at arms i really love the fifth elephant too i love monstrous regiment that's a, a frequent reread now I'm like looking across the room at my shelf of Discworld. Like it's a piece, like when I say shelf, I mean a piece of furniture that's mostly just Discworld books. <laughs> I, I've got one of those too. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I mean, th those are probably top of the list, but I'll, I'll pull out, I'll put some old, other ones into the rotation. Probably the only ones that I don't go back to super often are the, the Rincewind books. He's, uh, he's not my favorite. I feel bad, mm -hmm. but I'm like, He's fine. <laughs> Everyone else I like. So I asked you on, uh, and again, thank you uh, to the Pratchett podcast for, for doing the Tumblr deep dive for us. Um, <laughs> yeah, because this is from a while ago. Yeah. Uh, well, so the the guest we have for this for this episode, uh, the, the main episode is uh, Cat Cool. A, a huge Pratchett, Pratchett fan uh, and and a, I think a, a fairly prolific writer herself, but she mentioned reading your your fan theory 
mm-hmm. at some point couldn't remember you know more than the, the the broad details but we found it so compelling that i was like i must have this person uh, <laughs> Uh, well, because that's, that's flattering. I, I really wanted to hear you explain it in your own words, uh, okay. as, as well as both sort of, the, you know, if you can recall from a decade ago, the genesis uh, of it and, you know, how your thoughts about it have, have, might have changed in the inter- intervening years. Um, okay, well, I can sort of outline the, the broad theory, which is that uh, Ned Coates, one of the, the watchmen at Treacle Mine Road, who Sam interacts with a fair bit, is not what he appears. In some way, he's not what he appears. And specifically what I think you can, I don't know that this was intended, but I think you can make a solid argument for it is that Ned Coates is also a time traveler. And that specifically, he is young Sam, grown up, having had some sort of time travel accident of his own and is now existing in the same bit of space time as both two, to him, two younger versions of his dad. So adult Vimes, who is just regular Vimes to us, but would be a younger Vimes to him, and tiny baby, little Sammy, <laughs> little Vimesy, who must be like an infant to really everyone, but especially to, to young Sam, mm-hmm. who is not actually the youngest Sam present, if I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> so do you want me to, so should I walk you through my reasoning? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so... Ned Coates is the only person, this is established, that knew the real John Keel. And he never says a word to anyone else about it, even though he makes it clear to Vimes that he knows that Vimes is not the real John Keel. Like, a lot of weird stuff happens to Vimes, but Ned, on the face of it, should not have any good reason for not being like, what the fuck, you're not John Keel, the minute he sees him, unless he has a better reason for keeping his mouth shut. Um, Ned is also supposedly one of the real revolutionaries, as opposed to, like, Reg or like oh, reg yeah mostly reg um because vimes finds the the password in his in his like locker but we never actually see ned interact with any of the real revolutionaries like rosie palm or really anyone but vimes actually we almost never see him interact with anyone but vimes and beyond that maybe just the other watchmen he doesn't have any point of view scenes at all either like most of the book is really vimes point of view and then the only detours are like i think veterinary mm-hmm. And maybe Rosie a couple of for a couple of scenes. Mm-hmm. Like I don't and think there's a little bit of Doctor Lawn. I think tiny, tiny bit. But the overwhelming majority of the point of view is just Vimes, and everybody else is like well removed from the watch house. There's no other Watchman point of view. Mm-hmm. So uh, Lutza and the the uh, monks, the time monks, are like very stressed out the whole way through. I feel like beyond what they should be. Like, we know that Vimes has taken Keel's place in the timeline. So if he's, like, mostly running on the rails laid down by the Keel version of the timeline, he shouldn't be putting too much strain on anything. But something is. <laughs> so maybe they've got another time traveler running around, making things even more complicated. Ned is very defensive of little baby Vimesy. He fights dirty exactly the way that, that Vimes does and says that John Keel taught him but like we only have his word for that. Mm-hmm. He's not surprised when Vimes tells him he's a time traveler. <laughs> he just says from how far back, which could be a joke. Like I, the, I think the intended punchline there is that he looks like some sort of primeval, like savage incarnation of like the spirit of vengeance or justice of whatever. But it could also mean from how far back, 
before the time that I know you in, where you're my dad. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we don't see him die. We actually do see a lot of the other Watchmen in, in the, the Lilac fight. We see some of them go down, but we don't see Ned. It happens after Vimes has been taken back to his own time. If it happens, right. Vimes gets taken back right after Ned asks him from how far back. Nothing contradicts this reading. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's there's nothing that like actively makes this reading impossible, and several things that make it very possible. Yeah, uh, we have we have now a running joke about you know you're allowed one X, so you know you're allowed one ship of Theseus in in uh, Fifth Elephant, uh, and you're allowed one closed time like curve in uh, in Nightwatch. But I guess you could have two as a treat. As a treat, <laughs> you can that, have ex- an extra time traveling Sam Vimes as a treat. <laughs> that layering, I think, really, uh, I think, really. W- would work especially in this you know the the peak of of terry's uh writing prowess yeah it really god it is my favorite book in the series pretty much hands down and it it is just the climax it it ties up so much of what's gone before and is like the payoff to so many other books worth of story and like character development and also it's funny if we meet young sam for a whole book before he's born right at the end mm-hmm. that's that's appropriately timey-wimey for what the book's about yeah i agree yeah because you know it, it could even be something as as far-fetched as like the time monks are like look sam jr you need to go back and make sure that your dad tells his younger self how to be a good cop i i had like further refined this some because i came up with this theory not long after I wrote that 30,000 word. Uh, and, and that story is all from young Sam's point of view. It's him grown up a watchman in the city, mm-hmm. having a, a kind of murder mystery. Not, it, it's complicated, but uh, a mystery to unravel. And he has a love interest in that story. And I think this is also either concurrent or shortly after the 11th Doctor's first season. And I loved that thing with Amy where Amy was, it was like the night before Amy's wedding for the entire season Mm -hmm. where she was like doing all her time travel adventures on the night before her wedding, because it was perpetually the night before her wedding until she went back to her own time. And I'm fairly sure at some point I had planned to write a follow-up to that story where the young Sam that I had written on the night before his wedding has a time travel accident and has to go do night watch. <laughs> that's, that's brilliant. I absolutely love it. And then I never did that part, but the theory survives. <laughs> I think he would also just be so horrified because like this city sucks and his dad's being a huge jerk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cause he'd be used to a much, much more civilized version of the city. Mm-hmm. If you just sort of like follow the trajectory of everything that, that's set up through all of the the Ankh-Mor pork. Yeah. Like it was pointed out to me on Twitter that uh Ned Coates is named after a person who was fairly active in the early Discworld fandom. Oh. Uh and Terry asked him specifically if he could a name a character after him and b kill him. <laughs> so this does kind of confirm that that my theory is just a theory and was probably not something that Terry was like laying down for me to somehow pick up on. But I like it anyway. So I, st- I, I like it as well. And, you know, at this point, there's nothing to contradict you. 
yeah and also like maybe it, it wasn't true then but like glass clock whatever mm-hmm. <laughs> in some universe mm-hmm. on some leg of the trousers of time there is a book where i'm vindicated yeah absolutely mm-hmm. well holly thank you so much for making this happen i i really appreciate it i, I one of the things that i've loved about this is this whole project is talking to fans all over the world uh, of yeah. Terry's writing and, you know, really seeing how it's affected who they are as people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would say that my, my sort of personal code of ethics and like worldview and all of that are like 60, 40, my actual like Jewish religious upbringing and the rest Terry Pratchett. <laughs> yeah. I was like, Takun Olam. Yeah, cool. But like, what if I took all this stuff from a book about wizards and sort of welded it on? Yeah. <laughs> Well, before you go, uh, is there anything you want to plug or uh, is there anything that you, do you want to be found? Sure. I mean, <laughs> I am on Tumblr as known as such, which is where you can, if you, I guess, dig in my Discworld tag far back enough, you can find this original post. I'll put the link in the show notes. I do. I do remember to reblog it on like re reblog it on the 25th, at least every couple of years. So it's hmm. in there somewhere. Um, I don't really like I have like an Etsy, but I don't it's not none of it's really discworld related uh if anyone is attending awesome con in washington dc on june 2nd and 3rd i think i will be at the artist sally there i make jewelry uh i don't sell the jewelry online currently because i own a store (laughs) so yeah i the only thing i can plug is my like physical store that i own in real life I yeah I own a vintage shop uh just outside of DC. Also I you may have seen this on Tumblr. Uh I bought a vintage capsule toy machine, the like plastic egg toy machines from like a bowling alley and I filled it up with weird trinkets and made like the fantasy gachapon from Taz in real life and put it in my store. <laughs> and when I posted about it on Tumblr, Tumblr was like, "Holy shit. <laughs> Where's your store again?" <laughs> so like every few weeks someone comes in wearing like a conspicuously nerdy t-shirt and I'm like Tumblr and they're like yeah (laughs) (laughs) The Complete Discography is an independent production by four people who just really like these books All opinions expressed during the show are our own All quotes from primary or related works are used under the Fair Use Doctrine and remain copyrighted by their original owners. The music from this podcast is sourced from Incompetech. That info can be found in the show notes. The rest of it is distributed under a Creative Commons 4.0 attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Share it. Please share it. But say where you got it, don't make money off it, and don't change it. Connect with the show at Pod, which is... A-T-U-I-N underscore P-O-D or email us at atuin.pod at gmail.com. Mm-hmm.